0: You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let us open our Bibles together this morning. Our scripture reading is taken from the book of Ezekiel. We read Ezekiel chapter 2 in connection with our text of this morning, which you can find and which we will read in a moment, and which comes from Revelation chapter 10. We read then from Ezekiel chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, where the word of our God reads as follows. He said to me, Son of man, stand up on your feet, and I will speak to you. As he spoke, the Spirit came into me and raised me to my feet, and I heard him speaking to me. He said, Son of man, I am sending you to the Israelites, to a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their fathers have been in revolt against me to this very day. The people to whom I am sending you are obstinate and stubborn. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. And whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are a rebellious house, they will know that a prophet has been among them. And you, son of man, do not be afraid of them or their words. Do not be afraid, though briars and thorns are all around you and you live among scorpions. Do not be afraid of what they say or terrified by them, though they are a rebellious house. You must speak my words to them, whether they listen or fail to listen, for they are rebellious. But you, son of man, listen to what I say to you. Do not rebel like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. Then I looked and I saw a hand stretched out to me. In it was a scroll which he unrolled before me. On both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll. Then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth And he gave me the scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, eat this scroll I am giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. I preached to you this morning from the word of God as you find it in the book of Revelation chapter 10. Last Sunday morning, we preached on the seven trumpets of Revelation found in chapter 8 and 9, as well as the end of chapter 11. And now we go back, because between the sixth and the seventh trumpet, there are these chapters 10 and a good part of chapter 11 as well. Our text then is from chapter 10. Listen to the word of God. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll, which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, And he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion when he shouted the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write, but I heard a voice from heaven say, seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, there will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh trumpet or seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It'll turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it. It tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach Turn sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, do you like puzzles? Chances are that if you do, you will also like the book of Revelation. For in so many ways, this book is like one big, huge puzzle. There's all this symbolism, all of these strange creatures, all of these weird events. Why, when you first turn to it and try to make sense of it, you are often left scratching your head in bewilderment. Yes, and what applies to the whole of this book applies to almost every one of its chapters as well. If this book is one big puzzle, then each of these chapters in turn represents a little puzzle. For no matter, it seems, where you turn and read, there are things that leave one perplexed. It takes a bit of digging, as well as a lot of prayerful thought to get to the bottom of it. And that, beloved, applies to chapter 10 here as well. For here we have in succession a mighty angel, a little scroll, the seven thunders, words about delay and mystery, as well as a strange command to fill one's mouth with parchment. What really does it all mean? And what are we supposed to focus on? Is it the angel? Is it the scroll? Is it the command to eat? Well, let's get to work and see where it leads us this morning. I preached to you on the theme of mighty angel and a little scroll. Scroll. Now, beloved, at first sight, it seems as if the angel is the main figure here and that we should actually focus on him. After all, look at him. He is quite the angel. He's called a mighty angel. No name is given to him, but it's plain to see that he's special, that he's different, it would appear, from all other angels. And indeed, this becomes obvious when we take stock of what is said about him. His robe is a cloud. His head, John writes, is adorned with a rainbow. His face is like the sun. And his legs, oh, what legs they are. They're like fiery pillars. And as a matter of fact, his legs represent his most outstanding feature. His right leg and foot are firmly planted, it says, on the sea, while his left foot and leg are firmly planted on the land. And once they are both firmly planted, he shouts. In short, you can say that for openers, it's all angel here. And yet I would say to you this morning, do not be deceived. For while this mighty angel fills our vision and ignites our curiosity, it is actually the little scroll that should have, really have, our attention this morning. Well, we need to ask ourselves, what is John doing in this chapter? You might say he's stopping and he's creating an interlude. You remember last time in the chapters 8 and 9, one trumpet blast sounds after the other. Six of them are heard in succession. Each unleashes, as we saw, a new and startling kind of development. And it appears that every time the stakes get raised a little bit after every trumpet sounds, the tension mounts. With bated breath, we await the seventh and the final trumpet. But then before it sounds, there is this interruption, this interlude. Indeed, there is this mighty angel and this little scroll. And what does this little scroll represent? Well, when all is said and done, and when you've done all your digging, you'll come to the conclusion that actually this little scroll represents the Word of our God. You may recall that earlier in chapter 5, a scroll with seven seals is mentioned, and it contains the future and what God has in store for this world. Well, here in chapter 10, a little scroll is mentioned, and it too contains a message, a message of judgment. Together, then, both scrolls represent God's revelation. God's decisive word is contained in them for the end times. And so really, here in chapter 10, it's not the angel that should hold center stage, it's the scroll, the little scroll. The word eclipses the angel. The church then and the church today is being told here to focus on it. But it has to be said we're not simply to focus on this scroll or on the word of God. We also have to have as it were, a certain confidence in it. For look at what happens in the verses 1 to 4. The mighty angel comes, and you can see he dominates over land and sea, and he comes armed with this little scroll, and notice it lies open in his hand. That, that means that this scroll and what it talks about is active, is, is living, is working. And armed with this open scroll, the angel, it is saying, is sovereign over all of the created order. The land and the sea, the heavens and the earth. God's word is holding sway over all of it, over everything. Then the angel shouts. And it says, "The, the voices of seven thunders erupt. Now, that raises the question, what do these seven thunders represent? What do they mean? What do they signify? And the answer is, no one knows. And why not? Well, because notice, John is specifically told to seal up these seven thunders and not to write about them. Now, we ask ourselves, what is this? Well, you might say, this is God... This is God, our God, telling us that when it comes to the future and to the unraveling or unfolding of history, some things are off limits to us. Some things are to stay sealed and unwritten. Not all is revealed. In other words, John begins this interlude by telling the people of God then, in his time as well as in our day, that God doesn't always tell us everything. There are some things that happen that we are not privy to. There are some things that God ordains that we are not to know as yet. We have what is written in the little scroll. And that's enough. We do not need any more. And indeed, in connection with this, isn't one of the problems that we face with respect to the end times that we want to know it all. We want God to give us all the details, all the facts, all the developments, all the goods. But here God says there are some things... That he does not reveal. His word is sufficient, but it is not exhaustive. There are events that are under wraps and that will stay under wraps until they happen. And in the meantime, the church and the people of God are to stick close to the little scroll, to what has and will be revealed. We are to be content with the fact that when it comes to the end times, we do not know it all. But we do know enough. Yes, and realize that what you have is not just enough. It's also true, certain, and reliable. Return to the verses 5 to 7, and what do you see? You see that angel again, and he is still standing on the land and on the sea, but something else is added, for his right hand, it says, is raised to heaven. So what's he doing? He's swearing an oath. You know, verse 6 confirms it. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever. He's swearing an oath by God. And notice, it's no little short oath either. It goes on and on. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the seas and all that is in it. So what's this oath all about? You can see it's about the fact that there will be no more delay. The King James Version has, there should be time no longer. But that's not what's meant. This is not about time. This is about delay. And the angel is told to announce there will be no more delay. And why not? Well, read chapter 10, verse 7. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants the prophets. Here we're being told that when the seventh trumpet sounds, it really and truly will herald the end. After it, you know, there will come seven bowls of wrath unleashed by that last trumpet. And that'll be it. It'll be all over. And the mystery of God will be accomplished. You ask, what's the mystery of God? Well, it's his victory over evil. So now John says, "This, this victory... This, this mystery will surely happen. And you know, God, our God, wants us to be sure and certain of that. And he wants us to have no doubts about this whatsoever. And that's why he has that mighty angel swear his oaths. That's why he swears by him who lives forever and ever and who created everything. Why, what you see here is that in so many ways, our God knows. He knows how fundamentally insecure all of us are. He knows that as the future progresses, even the saints will get rattled. That at times we'll begin to wonder, and to question, and to doubt, and to debate, and to second guess ourselves as well as God. You know, as the heat turns up and as the judgment mount, many of us will begin to sweat and become unsettled and worried and anxious. And God, our God, is, is sensitive to this and it concerns him. And indeed, it concerns him greatly. And as a result, he has John write about this angel and about his stretched-out, emphatic and graphic oaths. He's saying to his persecuted people then, and he's saying to his people even today, do not worry about the future. And what it's going to bring. Just stick close to my word. Embrace the fact. That what it says. Is true. And sure. And certain. And so beloved the message here in the middle of our text is do not panic. No matter what. But hang on. the word of God. But then hang on realizing as well just what kind of a word this is or what kind of a word is contained in the scroll. The verses 8 to 10 continue the story of the little scroll. And notice John is ordered to go to the mighty angel and he's to take the open scroll from his hand. And John does so. He's even kind of polite about it. He asks the angel, sir, please give it. And he does. So what now? Well, John is told to take the scroll and he's told to eat it. He's to eat the little scroll. He's to eat the Word of God. Notice carefully that here John is not just to to see this vision and to pass it on to us. No, he's also supposed to get involved in it, to, as it were, participate in this vision. And that's made plain by the fact that he has to eat it. Now, that sounds kind of strange, right? But, you know, it's not quite as strange as it sounds if you go back to the Old Testament and what happens to some of the prophets there. Jeremiah 15, 16, we read, When your words came, I ate them. And as well in Ezekiel 3, which we read together a moment ago, the same thing happens when the prophet eats the scroll. In so doing, he too is eating God's words. But you know, that's not all, for for notice that when both prophets first eat these words, they, they experience something positive, something nice. Jeremiah says that when he ate them, they were my joy and my heart's delight. They tasted great. And the same goes for Ezekiel. He bites into the scroll and it tasted sweet as honey in my mouth. Yes, and now John is told to do the same thing as Jeremiah and Ezekiel. He too eats the scroll. He finds it to be truly as sweet as honey. Only, it doesn't stay that way. For as what he eats descends from his mouth down his esophagus into his stomach. It turns sour and bitter. It lands in his stomach like a sud, and he reaches for the pepto And so again we ask, what is this? What does this mean? Well, you can say that this, once again, points us so very clearly to this two-sided character or nature of the Word of our God. You know, sometimes we call it a double-edged sword. Because it both defends and attacks, protects and assaults. There are these two sides to it. And you know, that's what John is experiencing as well. When when he eats this scroll, at first it, it tastes oh so sweet and oh so nice, but when it hits his stomach, it creates instant heartburn. And you know what all of that points to is that initially preaching, and especially preaching judgment... Is sweet. How satisfying it is to preach death and destruction against your mortal enemies. These guys are finally getting what they deserve. Great! Only, it doesn't last. For as we preach judgment on others, we see that often it comes at a terrible cost. It has a way of spilling over and affecting everything in a negative manner. Take, for example, the prophet Micah. First, he has to preach judgment against the wicked people in Samaria and in Jerusalem. And, and, you know, he, he does so with a sense of gusto and satisfaction. But then suddenly things change And he finds himself weeping and wailing, howling like a jackal and moaning like an owl, it says in Micah 1, verse 8. And why? Well, he says, for her wound is incurable. It has come to Judah. It has reached the very gate of my people, even to Jerusalem itself. You see, it's not as easy to preach judgment as it looks. Whatever fine feelings you may have at first, they soon evaporate, they become hollow, and they kick you in the stomach. There's much bitterness in the proclamation of judgment. Yes, and God knows this, and he wants his church to know this as well. I reminded you last time, he does not delight in the death of the wicked, contrary to what we so often think. And indeed, we find the Lord Jesus weeping over the fate of Jerusalem. He sees what will happen to her in the days to come, and it causes him great anguish and sadness. You know, it's as if the fire and the brimstone that comes down from heaven is coated with the tears of God. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing You were not willing. There's a sweetness and a sadness to the Word of God. John got to taste it. And you and I at times get to experience it as well. Have you ever noticed it's wonderfully satisfying to see the Word of God change hearts and and lives before your very eyes. There's nothing quite like seeing a life transformed by the gospel. But you know, by the same token, there is nothing as distressing as one loved ones or friends walk away from the word of God and turn their backs to it. How bitter sweet is this scroll. This word. And John needs to know this. And that means we all need to know this too. But at the same time, notice as well, he and and we cannot stop there. John is told finally to move on. Then I was told you must prophesy about many peoples, nations, languages and kings. Verse 11. John cannot rest. He has to keep on preaching, keep on prophesying from the little scroll. He has to keep on preaching either about or against people's, nations, languages, and kings. And as such, you can say, his task remains very broad. Notice he's not simply to preach against one particular people or or one special nation or or one different language or, or one specific king. No, the designations are all plural. This is about peoples and nations, and languages, and kings. And it's good to be reminded also about this. For there are people out there who would confine the message of the book of Revelation to a specific time, to a specific people. Some of you, especially some of the older ones, are familiar with the writings of a Reformed preacher by the name of C. van the Waal, who is of the opinion, as are a number of English commentators as well, that this book of Revelation is fulfilled in 70 A.D., fulfilled in connection with the fall of Jerusalem and the conquest of Israel by the Romans. Well, you know, if that were true, and I don't believe it is, then John could retire. But he cannot. It says here, he cannot. His task is not yet done. You can't limit the prophecies of this book to one nation, one people, one specific event, one Roman emperor, or even one people. This is the word of God for many. Many. This word and its proclamation never stops until the end is here. John's work and life goes on. Yes, and so does our work as the people of God. John is called to do what he must do, and we are called to do what we must do. And what is that? It's to keep living in this world as God's visible and focal people. It's to keep on believing and persevering as God's covenant children. The judgment's have come. They're coming. They're here today. Did you hear about the earthquake early this morning in Turkey? And they will keep on coming. And in the midst of it all, you and I need, so to speak, to stick to our guns, to put one foot in front of the other And to keep on moving in the direction of the new heaven and the new earth. Do not lose your focus. And to help you, keep on holding to that little scroll. Keep on holding to the word of our God. Amen.